1: Episode 162, Karen Reed and Joe Allen, co-authors of the book, Suddenly Hybrid.
0: It actually goes back to a time before I won an Emmy as a broadcast journalist. It was in my first job in TV news, and I was working in Youngstown, Ohio.
1: I'm Mark Rabin. This is My Favorite Mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes, because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Karen and Joe, their work, and their books, look for links in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake162. Thanks for listening, and now on with the show. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Graven. We have two guests today. Um, first off is Dr. Joseph A. Allen, a professor of industrial and organizational psychology and a a meeting scientist, and we're also joined by Karen Reed. She's an executive communications specialist. She's the CEO of Speaker Dynamics, and they are together the authors of uh, the recently released book, Suddenly Hybrid, Managing the Modern Meeting, and uh, that's from Wiley Publishing. So before I tell you a little bit more about them, uh, Karen, Joe, uh, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Mark, great to be here. Thank you. Good, good. Um so Karen Reed again she's the CEO of her firm Speaker Dynamics. She is an Emmy award-winning broadcast journalist and she now focuses on helping business professionals to be confident communicators on any platform, in person, on camera or for or through virtual communication tools. And I'm going to try not to be too self-conscious about my communication <laughs> no judgment, Mark. my no judgment. Commu- my communication skills. I make mistakes all the time. That's why I do a podcast. <laughs> About mistakes. Um, you can learn more about Karen and her work at speakerdynamics.com. and you can find a, a link to that and the book in the show notes. And then Joe Allen, he is uh, again a professor of industrial and organizational psychology. He's at the University of Utah. and Joe's research focuses on the study of workplace meetings, organizational community engagement, and occupational safety and health. His website is Joe Allen. Com. And uh, Karen and Joe are both also authors of a previous book, um, those who are watching See It Over Karen's Shoulder, in the background, Suddenly Virtual, Making Remote Meetings Work. That was in March 2021. Um, so there's a lot to talk about around the topic of meetings. I, I can see why the two of you are, are collaborators, um, given your backgrounds. But first, you know, as we always do here, um, I would love to hear your favorite mistake stories and thank you in advance for sharing those. Um, Karen, if if you could share your favorite mistake.
0: I am happy to. And it actually goes back to a time before I won an Emmy as a broadcast journalist. It was in my first job in TV news. And I was working in Youngstown, Ohio at a station uh, with the call letters of WKBN. And I had the opportunity to anchor my first uh, newscast. So at that time, uh, what you used to do with the teleprompter is you ran it with your foot. There was a foot pedal. And the way they put together the scripts is they taped them together and they put it through a conveyor belt. And it was fed through whatever magic they they used to be able to get the scripts onto the screen in front of me. And I began the newscast and I said, you know, good evening, everyone. I'm Karen Reed. These are the top stories for the day. And I I pressed my foot on the pedal and out of the corner of my eye, I saw all of the scripts go and fall to the floor. (laughs) I had to do my entire first block of news with no teleprompter. So lucky for me, I wanted to make sure I had some sort of uh, safety net. So I had all of my hard copy of my scripts sitting in front of me on my desk. Uh, which taught me a very valuable lesson that you always need to have a plan B. And at a time when many of our business is done through a webcam and through this technology, uh, I think that that is something that is essential for everybody to understand that you need to have a plan B because technology is fickle.
1: Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that technology where um, today, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's digital. That was a very analog <laughs> technology it was. There. And the little
0: thing that I, I failed to mention is on that foot pedal, there was a forward and a reverse, and I neglected to put it into forward and I had it in reverse, which is why all of those scripts <laughs> went so- down onto <laughs> <under> the floor. <laughs>
1: Oh gosh! So I was about to ask you, like, was it your responsibility to load the prompter? Was there an, a technical assistant doing that? But you there was
0: somebody who was doing that. Of course, he was doing like five other things as well, because you know, in, mm-hmm. in a market that size, uh, you do a lot of things. Because I was the anchor, the producer, the weekend reporter, and the weekend weather person. <laughs> so we did a lot <laughs> of things, you yeah. know, at that time. So, but there was somebody who was in charge of threading it through the machine. Uh, but he wasn't in charge of setting the the foot pedal in forward or reverse. But I just didn't know about it. But you can bet I checked it every time from that point on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow! And that makes me think of well. So my, my one question is: How often would you actually have to hit the reverse? Like my engineer mind now is wondering: Like, why would the reverse be so close to the
2: forward? I don't know.
0: I, hmm. I I don't think I've ever used it. Or well, certainly I you know once I moved on from that market, then we had a, a much higher tech setup. Uh, and technology has come a long way since then. You know, I always get nervous when I see newscasters these days have no scripts in front of them. I'm like, you don't know what can happen. That helicopter <laughs> can go away. Uh, but I, no, I, I never used the reverse. So that's a, that's a good question to ask. You know, how often would you use it, and why would you need it? But it was there just the same.
1: Because you know, we we learn from mistakes. But you know, part of the field I work in, we focus on mistake proofing. Mm. which um, is to, to people's benefit. But so you, you didn't have, I'm thinking back um, and I don't know if you found this movie funny considering your field, but um, Anchorman and Ron Burgundy, at least <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> at, least you, at least you didn't have a Ron Burgundy moment of the, well, there's nothing on the prompter. Right. Or, or mm-hmm. if you were going in reverse, would you be reading your script backward? At right. Yeah,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you some stories of other people who have had some really embarrassing moments, but, you know, that that would not be fair to them. But, yeah, you have to make sure that it's not autopilot for your brain. Uh, And a Mm -hmm. lot of people assume that it is. Uh, You have to stay connected to to the meaning behind the words, because if you just try to say the words, you know, it's going to come out weird. (laughs) Yeah. And
1: um, I I appreciate that you, you had that plan B. So that's, I think, an important lesson. Um, for for the listener or for all sorts of other settings, you'd like to think nothing will go wrong, but it, it's helpful I think to anticipate what what it's possibly go wrong, what's likely to go wrong, and to have a backup plan. And, and and I'm guessing the audience didn't know you kept your 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 wits about you
0: as much as I possibly could. You know, I, I, it was literally my first time ever. Anchoring a newscast, uh, so I, I think one of the great things is I'm kind of physiologically wired to be in TV news because it takes a lot to rattle me. I have really yeah. low blood pressure. <laughs> I think that somehow <laughs> that helped me to be yeah. able to navigate that that really kind of terrifying situation. But you know, I, I think I pulled it off well enough. Um, you know, I, I my parents were actually in the area and they watched it. And I called her afterwards. I said, "So how did I do?" And she yeah. said, "Your hair
1: looked great."
0: And I said <laughs> nobody cares about my hair, Mom. And little did I know they really do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, a whole different conversation to be yeah, had about yeah. <laughs> those dynamics, I'm sure. So, well, Karen, thank you for for sharing your story. Um, you know, Joe, I, I'd love to hear your story. What 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 is your favorite mistake?
2: So, my favorite mistake is. Um, believing that my parents and my high school teachers and my undergraduate teachers uh, in terms of educating me on writing, uh, believing that they were telling me the truth <laughs> because when I got into, into graduate school, I was, I think my fourth or fifth revision into my dissertation proposal. And I walk into my advisor's office and he says to me, have you had an English writing course in your adult life? That seems like a loaded question. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> so and so at that moment, I realized I had been living, I believing a, a, a lie to some degree, right? I I don't think I was terrible, truly terrible, um, but I was not a very good writer, uh, and I didn't realize how bad of a writer I was until that moment when my advisor, you know, informed me, <laughs> and so it it led me to be more motivated. Uh, to change that. And clearly that has happened uh, since, you know, since that time, but it happened through a lot of hard work, through a lot of personal study and, you know, outside of my curriculum, right? Because learning how to write wasn't part of the curriculum. We just had to be able to, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then also just writing academic articles and papers and writing for news, uh, you know, you know outlets and writing for, uh, writing with Karen. And I still, to this day, I'm, I still see myself as a as a writer who's learning how to write, because Mm. there's always more to learn. There's always different styles to learn and that sort of thing. And I, I think I took for granted that, Oh, I'm a good writer. So I can write anything. And the reality was, Nope, (laughs) Nope. (laughs) It wasn't the case. So, so Joe, do you
1: think, I mean, you sort of framed it as maybe you weren't being told the truth. Do you, do you think like, you know, people was, was the praise, unmerited or did that was the bar just higher as you moved through your academic studies
2: I think it was a little bit of both and this is no offense to my mother who uh, you know I love very very much but i think moms tend to think you know tend to to uh see see their children in a more positive light than uh than uh than than they than maybe others might i think also that what's expected of our high school students and of our undergraduate students in terms of writing is not the same as what we expect from our PhD candidates and our academic authors and that sort of thing. And so I think the the, for me, the distance between being an A writer, you know, you know getting a A level grading, you know, in, in college and your four year degree and getting an A you know from your advisor on your dissertation proposal the the gap is i think a little, little bit larger than i think i ever realized right and and so because of that i don't think they were i don't think they were knowingly lying to me <laughs> but i think at the moment i felt like i had been lied to because i was under this this uh, illusion that I was a very, very good writer, and that anything I wrote was was exceptional, and I really only had to write it once because why would I need to revise? Because I'm just that good. And, and the reality is, that's just not how writing good writing actually happens. The best writers in the world go through multiple revisions and have multiple people look at their things. And even you know, Karen and I, we even though we wrote these books that we that we've written together very, very quickly. Uh, we still had people looking at them and revising them with us and helping us, and, and it took a community to make them good. And 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 I still think part of that is because I'm not that good of a writer. So that's not
0: true. That's it's a totally different kind of writing,
2: Joe, <laughs> that you're doing for what we write together versus academic. That's true.
0: That's you know, true. And I think that's probably the bigger challenge. I could not write the way you write. <laughs> you know, I, I would need to add a, a much bigger vocabulary, uh, you know, to my current one. Um, so it's just a totally yeah. different style.
1: So. Yeah. So Joe, how did that, um, that, that, that uh, realization of, you know, the the need to continue learning and to, mm-hmm. to continue bettering your writing, how, how has that influenced you as you have become a professor? And um, mm-hmm. are, are, are there, do you try to be on guard for, for that sense of having reached a pinnacle and <laughs> saying, okay, good enough.
2: Yeah. I think to me, it, taught me not to take for granted what I think is uh, expertise, right? So, you know, even though I may be, you know, a, a, someone who, who who calls themselves a meeting scientist and have written more than anyone else on the planet on the topic of workplace meetings, I still have so much to learn. And so I think this, that experience uh, helped remind me that in, in every area of your life, there are still more things to learn, and it and it and helped me to kind of set the stage for a continuously learning attitude and perspective on every aspect of my life, right? Whether that be learning how to be a better father, learning how to be a better you know, professor, learning how to be a better husband, learning how to be a better writer, learning how to be a you know, every every aspect of life. There's things you can learn to to be better at, and not to not to waller in the fact that we're we're inadequate, but to embrace the idea that I can do better and I can learn and I can continue to improve.
1: Well, that's a, a great reflection and a great lessons for others. Um, I feel like even though we don't take commercial breaks here, I almost feel like I need to throw out like a news tease of like uh, coming up next, we'll be talking about virtual meetings and hybrid meetings. Um, that, that, that's not a good tease. That's just what's coming next. Um, So I'm curious first, before we dig into the detail of the two books, um, Suddenly Virtual and Suddenly Hybrid, how did the two of you start collaborating?
0: You want me to do this one, Joe?
2: Sure. (laughs) It's our
0: origin story. All right. So we we were both working as subject matter experts for a mutual client, Um, me as a video communication expert and Joe as a meeting scientist. And they asked us to do a webinar together talking about the future of Meetings. And that was the first week of March 2020. And we talked about oh, in five, 10 years from now, we're going to be doing virtual meetings all the time with video at their core. Well, you know, three weeks later, all the stuff that we said would happen in five years happened overnight Mm. (laughs) because of the (laughs) pandemic. And so we both kind of went off and were trying to, you know, drink from the fire hose of business coming our way because people really needed a lot of help to figure it out. And we did check back in with each other. Uh, We had a great time collaborating on that webinar and realized that we were both kind of tackling the same problem from different angles. And we thought, how can we, you know, amplify the message and help more people. Why don't we write a book? So I had written a previous book with Wiley on camera coach. And I went back to my editor and pitched the idea. They were really excited about it. We thought about writing it in six months. They said, can you write it in six weeks? We said, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <And> so,
0: <laughs> right. It, it became fast tracked and it, it came out, you know, pretty quickly after that. So that that's how it began. And, and suddenly hybrid was something that spawned from, a lot of questions that we were getting about hybrid meetings. Uh, And, you know, I was, we were trying to figure out what we could include uh, or give to people from our suddenly virtual hybrid meeting chapter. And I said to Joe, you know, do we have anything more than what we included in the book? And he said, we could write a book out of it. And actually (laughs) our executive editor was on the call with us as we did that. And he said, don't tease me. What do you mean? (laughs) And so suddenly we're writing another book, you know, shortly after. Uh, So so that's kind of how it's, it's happened and what we're currently writing our third
1: book together. Oh, can can you, can you share what that title is or is that not announced yet?
2: Go ahead, Joe. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's called running effective meetings for dummies. So it's part it's of the dummy series. Yeah, it's part of the Wiley's Dummies series. So they they evidently like us enough to invite us to be a part of that series. And and this and this book is intended to be a definitive guide to all meetings. So it'll have parts and bits and pieces and tips and things from our virtual uh, meetings book. It'll have tips and tricks from our hybrid meetings book. But it'll also give uh, people a definitive guide to any meeting that they might have, you know, face-to-face or otherwise. And so that's, that's kind of the goal of, of that one. And we're pretty excited about uh, diving in to work on that one, which will be out later this year.
1: Well, it's good to know. I mean, the publishing industry sometimes can be very slow, but when they're motivated and when something is really right. in the we moment. We haven't
0: experienced they, that.
1: They, slow, they can, what are you talking about? They, they, can, move, <laughs> they can move quickly. Um, yes. So I, I want to just talk briefly about virtual meetings because a lot of people are still doing that. And we can spend more time um, on, on hybrid meetings because that's mm-hmm. something personally I've started experiencing and I'm really interested to hear your tips Are are there certain mistakes that people make with virtual meetings, either in organizing and structuring them or us as individuals? And let's say our, I don't know if performance is the right word, but the way we are uh, appearing in, uh, in a virtual meeting setting, is there any sort of mistake or even framed as a tip for best navigating that as an organizer or an attendee?
0: There's yeah. so much there, Joe. Do you <laughs> may just take the the performance front one first, and then you can do about the, the design. So, yep. you know, one of the things that we still are seeing, Mark, is people are are neglecting to turn on their cameras. In fact, I think there's been more people who are saying, "I'm done with virtual and keeping my camera off," and that is such a mistake when it comes to a virtual meeting if it's one that's designed to be collaborative and and you know one that leads to a decision. You want to be able to communicate as fully as possible, and you want to use all the tools at your disposal to make it a rich experience. And that means, you know, audio plus video, because we Mm -hmm. communicate so much with our body language. Uh, And if you have your camera off, that body language is silent. So if you're speaking, it makes it difficult for people to read the intent of your message. If your camera is off, Uh, if you are the speaker, you want to be able to see how your message is being greeted. You know, you want to see the impact of your message, but you can't, it's like a black box, literally a black box. If people don't have (laughs) their cameras on. So that is, you know, one of the the main things that that we would definitely advocate. Um, and then it's just attending to your personal production value, which is really how you show, show up whenever you're on webcam. Uh, and it's not about vanity, it's about uh, having respect for your audience for your conversation partner because you want them to be able to be able to receive your message without distraction and as easily as possible and that means making sure that your your face is well lit so they can read your facial expressions mm-hmm. that you don't have weird stuff in the background that they can't focus on what you're saying uh, you know that you are just taking time to actually you know show up in a professional manner uh, and can be easily seen and heard
1: yeah and yep. you know for people who don't like being on camera or this odd effect of like constantly having this mirrored image of yourself. Like when you're in a conference room, chances are there's not a mirror directly across from you. but you know, I know for certain in zoom and probably in other platforms, people can hide the self view.
0: Yes. And you can do it on Microsoft teams now as well. Um, So I would wholeheartedly advocate doing that because it does, it puts you in an unusual and, a natural conversation scenario where you are Mm. watching yourself communicate in real time. And we don't do that. (laughs) So, you know, even if you don't have this self hide self view option available, what I suggest is taking a sticky note and put it over your face, you know, make sure that your frame like check and make sure you're set up the way you want to set up. But once you have that figured out, you know, just cover it up and just have a conversation. Mm. Uh, You know, I advocate talking to the camera uh, because that's going to feel best to the people on the other side. Yeah, uh, but then when you're not talking, by all means, look at the screen because then you can read the body language of the person who is speaking.
1: I, I was I was going to ask you about that because I I, I noticed Karen, um, and and it is very engaging. You're when you're I'm going to try it. I'm going to look at my camera, which is above <laughs> my screen. Do you, do you have some sort of setup where you know you've got sort of the pl- the 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 prompter mirror where you're looking through I a camera to you, you're, you're just, you're, I guess your training and habit is to look up to your camera. Is that what you're well, doing? Well, the it?
0: camera should be at eye level. So that's right. like the, well, the main sure. thing, yeah. which I think yours is. So you're in good yeah. shape. But, I, I mean, trained Joe to do the same <laughs> yeah. thing. Right. You know, <laughs> yes. but, but I think, <laughs> I think it's important just to remind yourself that the camera is not um, the audience. It's the conduit. To your conversation partner. And so it's a matter of engaging with that camera lens the way you would with a person face-to-face because the camera represents a person. Uh, so you want to pour your energy and your eye contact through it. Uh, but it, it's a mental mind trick that you have to be able to, you know, actually achieve. Uh, and, and you can try to like have your your person's face as close to the camera as possible, but I do that it's a, too. Yeah. right. But there's still like a dramatic difference in eye line and uh, how it, it appears. So if I were just to look right under my camera at your face, can you see the difference? Whenever I'm looking at you versus if I'm looking at the camera, that's only a couple of inches. Uh, so you can, you can cheat, but it's still it's it, not going to be as effective.
1: It's it's tough because you want to see. To your point about body language and reaction, (laughs) if I'm looking at the camera, I'm at best getting that from peripheral vision where, Karen, you're at the top of my screen. I can see you're nodding your head. Right. So I I can't I can't sense anything from Joe. So one one quick
0: thing I would suggest to that is you do not need to be staring at the face of the person you're talking to the entire time to see that you're nodding. I can see you're nodding like five times in that space. Like, I don't need to do that. But whenever you're talking to a camera, you don't stare at the camera lens. It's not like you're held hostage <laughs> by the camera. You are actually taking quick glances away. And in those quick quick glances, you can see, I saw the big smiles when I made a kind of, you know, goofy joke. You know, I can do that so quickly in like a split second. Um, and so you, keep that in mind. It's not staring at it. It's looking, it's reading those nonverbals very quickly, but, but the value of looking into the camera lens, the, the difference it makes in the impact and influence you can exert in the room is huge.
1: So maybe one tip, if I were to put that post-it note over my image, that post-it note might say, look at the camera more.
0: Yes, As or I have yeah. clients who put like little googly eyes on either side of their camera lens, literally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep, yep. That's cute. That's fun. Um, um, Joe, uh, before we we move and talk about hybrid meetings, do you, do you have a, a tip or a suggestion for people about navigating virtual meetings?
2: Yeah, I mean, the thing that uh, we have to remember is that before the pandemic, we we had lots of information about how to run effective meetings. Uh, most of those things you know, were, were for face-to-face meetings. But about 70 to 80% of those tips still apply. Right? You should still start on time. You should still have a purpose and an agenda. You should still make sure everybody has an opportunity to participate. You should still make sure that you end on time. You should try and make sure that you're not scheduling back-to-back meetings. You should try and make sure your meeting isn't so long that it doesn't allow for recovery time or for a lunch break. You know, all the things that we've known for years that we should have been doing, in our meetings still apply to the virtual meeting and so that's that's the interesting combination of, of what karen and i do i bring the science that we've known for for a while uh, as well and and she brings the the practice that that we've known for some time you know, on the on the camera side we bring that together and that's what we're living in in the, in the virtual environment we're living in this situation where there's there's opportunities uh, to really have effective meetings if we if we just apply some of those basic principles
1: well, thank you. Thank you for that, Joe. That's that's always a good reminder because even those of us who have learned some of those best practices for planning meetings, it's easy to get lax and yeah. fall off uh, from some of that. So we were all thrown in, as the book title says, suddenly virtual. And um, a lot of us have been virtual for a long time. But now, you know, there, there's this, this word hybrid, suddenly hybrid. Uh, for, for people who maybe haven't experienced this or haven't used that
2: term, how, how do you describe what is a hybrid meeting? Well, a hybrid meeting is a meeting where you have multiple modes of communication coming together at the same time. So this is this is not all face-to-face or all virtual in a video conferencing setup. This is having face some, some people in the room face-to-face, some people that are on video, and maybe even some people that are audio only. And so anytime you have multiple communication modalities, you're now in a hybrid environment, right? And the challenge or the mistake people make with that is they try to run a hybrid meeting just like they run every other meeting. And this is the one type of meeting in terms of the modalities we've experienced, the the, face-to-face, the audio conferencing, the video conferencing. Hybrid is the most complex communication environment. And if you take for granted that you that you can do it without any thought or any skilling up, then you're going to run into some problems. And let let me just you know illustrate that point. In a face to face meeting, the the medium by which we communicate is the air. We can see each other. We physically are in the same room. We can see all the body language. We can see all the things happening, right? Uh, in a virtual meeting, again, we're using this a single modality. We have a, hopefully have camera on. Right. We can see their face. We can talk to them that way, that sort of thing. They can see us through that, that lens and so forth. S- same modality. In a hybrid meeting, you add multiple modalities. Now you have to be aware of the people in the room. You have to make eye contact if you can with the people that are on remote and you have to make sure that they're not, that nobody is forgotten. Right. And so as a meeting organizer, it's real easy to forget about the people that are remote or to forget about or or to not to focus too much on the people that are right in front of you, as opposed to those who might be on, on the telephone, right. Or on the, on the conferencing phone. And so that's a really important um, pitfall that we have to overcome to, to actually enjoy what could be and should be the most inclusive form of meeting that we've had to date.
1: And I, you know, I've, started traveling again as a consultant, going out to a client. And virtual meetings, I think, to me, bring a challenge where you've got a couple of people in the room. The setup has a large screen on the wall, thankfully. But then there's a single webcam up above that screen. So the people who are virtual participants, I see them like I'm seeing you now. Your, your, Your face is pretty, you know, large within the uh, the window, within the frame. But then that camera shot to the room um, doesn't give that same fidelity in terms of being able to see facial expressions. Or is, is there anything, any recommendations for trying to deal with that or have a different setup?
0: There's a ton of technology that has come out as a result of this. It's almost like as soon as we went virtual, people were trying to solve for the hybrid eventuality. Uh, so there is some great technology on the market. A lot of the conference room cameras have uh, auto framing, so that whenever one person is talking, they will actually move into that person and, and zoom in, so that they are framed more like we would be framed right now. Uh, that makes a huge difference um, because then you do get more what I would call, you know, meeting equity, participation equity. Because you're right, you know, they we can see the people who are coming in on the Zoom window, but you know, for those who are remote attendees, trying to get a, a proper window into what's going on in the conference room is challenging. It's actually even more challenging from my initial feedback that I'm getting uh, to hear people who are in the conference room because that, that little webcam that you're talking about that people relied upon usually has like one microphone that is not strong enough to pick up the voices of everybody sitting, yeah. seating around sitting around the conference room table. And so Those conversations that are had at the far end of the conference room can be difficult to hear. And that almost is marginalizing those who are attending remotely Mm -hmm. because they feel Mm -hmm. like they can't get into the conversation. So there is definitely some room design that needs to be reconsidered uh, so that you have better audio fidelity. And and you also want to think about how your, your seating is set up you know because if you have just a really long, you know, bowling alley view of people, you know, on either side, you might have people who can't be seen because they're blocked by somebody yeah. else. Maybe your lighting is bad in the room and you know people, you know, are partially in shadow. You have to consider all of that in order to, you know, truly have a hybrid meeting that is going to work where everybody feels like they can participate in full.
1: It's a really good point. And yeah, so um, maybe investing a little bit more in some of that
2: technology pays off in terms yep. of the meeting effectiveness. Or have yeah.
0: a, s- a smaller meeting, right, Joe? You know, you Yeah, hear, I mean, the meeting straight. size
2: is a, is a big issue. I think the other thing is uh, the, the most important thing to making a, a hybrid meeting effective is to make sure that everybody is seen and heard. And everything we've been talking about so far is really about how do you make sure people are seen and heard? Making sure you have the right equipment, right, the the right hardware. Making sure that you have the right software that can actually you know, use that equipment in an effective way, and then having the right skills or right? the skillware uh, to do the right things uh, in the meeting to make sure that the meeting leader is calling people by name and, and making it okay to say, I don't have anything to add. And then the attendees being willing to put themselves out there and, and engage, particularly those who are audio only or, or are remote, to make sure that they don't uh, rely in, entirely upon the meeting leader to remember that they're there, to just engage.
1: Yeah, I, 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 there are times I've been put on the spot, called on during a meeting. Uh, Mark, do you have anything to add? I, I if I, I I would have spoken up if I had something to add.
0: <laughs> That's yeah, and yeah. something to do is to actually set that expectation early on. You know, what I like to yes. do is say, hey, I make cold call, uh, but it is with good intention. The reason why is it's harder mm-hmm. to kind of read the room. Uh, when you're in a virtual hybrid setting, and I, and I don't always pick up on when somebody has something to say. So, if I ask you if you have something that you want to add, it is perfectly fine to say pass. <laughs> you know, creating that psychological safety out of that in there so that you know people feel like it is okay and, and if they yeah. don't have something that they want to say.
1: That's a good, that's uh, that's a great point. Um, so again, uh, our, our guests today are Joe Allen and Karen Reed. Their most recent book is, suddenly hybrid. Um, There's a lot of, um, you know, great tips that apply to meetings in general, virtual meetings, hybrid meetings. But um, Karen, I wanted to follow up earlier, you talked about the importance of being on camera. Um, Within the book, it sounds like there's a little bit more nuance of when video is most imperative and times when when it's not. Is there an exception to the rule Mm -hmm. of always be on camera? Yes,
0: yes. Uh, So the time when I think it is silly to have everyone on camera is when it is a one-way information share uh, like think about like an all hands meeting where there is no opportunity for engagement whatsoever they just want to be able to deliver the message in real time having a hundred people on the call with all of their cameras on is super distracting there's no point in that there really isn't you know what I would suggest is to help the speaker have a couple of designated on-camera people who can provide the nonverbal nods, uh, which helps to encourage somebody and, and makes it feel like they are not talking into a black hole. Uh, the times when it is crucial to have the camera on is, first of all, if you have people in the meeting who are new,
1: mm-hmm. who
0: you don't know, uh, you know, that's when you really want to have the camera on for them because you know, with Joe and I, you know, we know each other well, we don't necessarily need to have the camera on because like, if he makes one of his, you know, silly jokes, he knows <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes, you know, and, and you know, so, but other yep. people might not, like if they don't know Joe, you know, mm-hmm. they it, and Joe doesn't know them, he might not know how they're reacting to it. So, you know, consider if there are new people in the meeting and if there, there are, you need to have the camera on so they can start filling in those those gaps uh, you know that you know are not there for those who have been working together for a long time uh, Joe, what's another scenario where you think it's important to have the camera on
2: I think for a crucial um... Um, complex or highly emotional type of topics uh, Mm -hmm. you need to have the camera on because anytime there's a nuanced way of communicating where you're you want them to feel your empathy or if you want them to understand a really complicated scenario or situation or or problem that you're dealing with in your organization you, you need to have the camera on and that's because there's there's you need those nonverbals to confirm comprehension. And as a, as a professor, we do this all the time in our lecture calls, right? We look out at the audience. We're not looking at every single student. We just want to look and see, are the people who are, are paying attention, are they getting it, right? And we can we can kind of understand that. It's a skill, right? As a meeting leader, you need both to both develop that skill and you also need to give the people the opportunity to, to do that. And so you got to have the camera on in a virtual environment and in a hybrid environment in order to ensure comprehension understanding in those complex situations but man if there are times when you're calling up someone you know really really well have a quick question like you know what should i bring home for dinner and things like that uh you don't need to put do a video call for things like that so i think that there's an overuse of video that's happened for things that don't need to be that but i think then there's an underuse on the other end where oh well we'll just turn it off all the time well, no 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 that's not horrible we're saying. Right, right. We're saying there are circumstances that you need it and you should turn it on. And if, when in doubt, turn it on. Um, but there are you know people you know and things of that nature, like Karen has already said.
1: I've I've got some colleagues. Uh, or if it's going to be a one-on-one discussion, we our our default is now the phone. Yep. Right. Maybe right. to that point. There's a familiarity. It gives us a break. You know, and yeah. one thing you write about is video fatigue. Sure. Sometimes it's great because then I'm not, even though I'm at a standing desk, I'm I'm not tied to the desk. I can pace around the room. I can go yep. pour myself a glass of water or something during that conversation. And, you know, it takes, and this is, I, I know something you touch on. If I'm away from the computer, I'm less tempted to multitask.
0: Absolutely. That's, right. that's, that's what I was thinking about. Yeah. You know, if you're on yeah. the phone. Unless you're like this, you know, or you have it on speakerphone, you're not going to be multitasking. But if you are just using this sort of um, platform and you turn your camera off, mm-hmm. you're still here. Your keyboard's right here, and you can just do other stuff. But yep. you know, that's that's dangerous. And and as mm-hmm. Joe will tell you, you know, multitasking is a myth.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's just called tasking. <laughs> many m- many you know, or switching tasks. Or yeah, there there are still yeah. people who try to power through or deny that myth of like, well, I'm, I'm I'm better at multitasking.
2: Um, Yeah. Well, and the truth is the psychological research has confirmed that multitasking is actually truly a myth that humans can really only pay attention to one, fully pay attention to one thing at a time. And when you think about a meeting, meetings are environments where you've got multiple streams of information coming into your brain anyway. Right. And so, yeah, if you start to do something else during a meeting, you will miss content from the meeting and if you're, if, if you're in a meeting where you don't need to pay attention, you probably don't need to be in the meeting. That's that's a great point. I think that applies to meetings in general. <laughs> don't don't yes. be a spectator. That's right. Yeah. Don't be a spectator. And if you're, if your meeting doesn't require feedback or input from people in the room, you probably didn't need to have it. You probably could have sent them a memo, <laughs> recorded them an audio message. Uh, sent them a video and said, "Play this at two times speed, and so you get the information." Whatever it is, it probably didn't need to be everybody in the room or everybody on a on a video call or whatnot. Yeah, Joe, do you have the uh, the
1: coffee mug that I think has become popular? The coffee mug that says, "This meeting could have been an email."
2: I have seen that. Uh, surprisingly, none of my family or colleagues or anyone have sent me that that mug. I'm waiting for someone to buy it for me because it seems a little cliché to buy it for myself. <laughs> now I know what to get you for Christmas. There, there you, you go. go. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I think that that's a fun one. <laughs> yeah.
1: it can be a gift um, to celebrate the the completion of that next book manuscript. Yeah. Maybe. there you <laughs> go. There you go. <laughs>
2: um, one other thing
1: I want to ask you, though, um, you know, we, we talk about the importance of nonverbals, and when you're in a hybrid meeting with some people who are listening, I think there's a trap and I just want to share something I've reflected on as I've been, I've been podcasting for 16 years. And Mm -hmm. at first that was always, it was done through Skype. It was audio only. So it forces you to react the person you're talking to in a decidedly verbal way. Yeah. As I've started doing more through zoom with video, it's sort of a hybrid meeting is that we have a lot of people listening some people watching. And the thing I'm trying to figure out, and I'm curious if you have tips uh, about this. I like having the video on because I think to your point, it builds connection. We don't know each other. We've mm-hmm. talked once. The nonverbals are helpful. But the thing I've noticed happened, I'll do it or a guest will do it. Let's say I say something mildly funny. And like you're doing now, <laughs> yeah. Joe and Karen are smiling, mm-hmm. which is nice feedback to me but it doesn't come across to the audio listener yeah. where if we were in an audio only format, you, you may have given me a mm-hmm. polite chuckle or even the whole, yeah. that's funny. Even though like, if that's your reaction, maybe, yeah, but, <laughs> but it's something. Yeah. Uh, do you have any thoughts on navigating it? Cause I don't think just turning yeah. off the video and being audio only that would that lead to a, a, I don't know, would that lead to a better audio product? Is this a different type of meeting?
2: Well, this takes me back a few years because when I was, this is, you know, in an undergraduate, I had the uh, wonderful opportunity to uh, have a side job to help pay for food and other things that I might want to do um, of being a telemarketer. And they would train their, their people. They would remind you, hey, they can't see you. So you have to be extra, you know, re- you know, extra, you know, excited, you have to communicate that all through your voice. So they would give you a little, a few tips on that. I didn't know at the time. And, and it wasn't until later when I started studying meetings, that pitch variability and so forth has a huge impact on the effectiveness of a meeting, right? Uh, particularly when that meeting's audio only. And so I, I literally coach people, Hey, if you're not going to be able to communicate in a video or face-to-face format, your voice is all you have. And so you have to be more um, more excited than you think you than you actually are. You need to be more angry than you think you actually are. Um, you have to, to communicate your emotions and commu- communicate your intent. You have to say it, and you have to you have to communicate it that way. And so that's why you, you even mentioned that's funny or ha ha ha. You know, you, you, communicating things that and you know, saying things and making noises that you would never make in a visual format you would do or should do in an audio only format. Otherwise the person on the other end doesn't know whether or not you actually found that funny or not, or what your sarcasm really was, or I'm rolling my eyes now right? saying <laughs> things like that, you know, what is essential in the audio only world. Uh, and so, and and most of us don't do that when we turn our camera off, we turn our camera but, off where we behave the same way. Yeah. But
0: this is something we actually talk about in suddenly hybrid. That is I a do. best practice <laughs> for meeting leaders, which is being a narrator of yeah. the body language uh, for the remotes. So for example, if you're leading the meeting from you know within the, the meeting room, uh, if you see somebody you know rolling their eyes, then you mm-hmm. say, hey, Joe, it looks like you're rolling your, uh, your eyes about this. And the reason why you want to verbalize that is those who are joining virtually may not be able to see that Joe is rolling his eyes because perhaps yeah. they have a situation like you talked about, Mark, where you have that one little view given by the webcam uh, that was adequate Pre-pandemic, but not so much now. Um, yeah. you have to be able to give those nonverbal uh cue narrations uh in mm-hmm. order to have people understand the, the all of the uh you know context uh in which these you know conversations are happening.
1: I, I love that tip in the frame it that way to be your narrator. I've, i I realized I I've started doing that, and I probably need to be more conscious about it. So <laughs> I was interviewing somebody and she, she was laughing, but there's also this zoom effect where sometimes if somebody leans back and laughs zoom, mm-hmm. either if they're laughing while I'm talking, like for good reasons, or if they're <laughs> laughing and they lean back, sometimes the zoom audio doesn't pick it up. So I did that narrator role. I said, oh well, you know, for those, for those of you listening, Nicole's laughing. Yeah. 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 And I almost mm-hmm. jumped in and did that Joe, when you were telling your story about when you were a telemarketer I noticed Karen's <laughs> expression, she gave this great look at that was like, oh, you poor thing. Yeah,
0: that is exactly right. <laughs> and that was would have been the appropriate narration for that, for sure. <laughs> so,
1: so that's that's my takeaway. And for other people who are listening who are podcasters, um, I I yeah, thank you for helping me sort of come around to I think recognizing what I was doing. Now I have an, a label for it yeah, to be maybe. the narrator and I and I can focus on that more consciously. So um, again, our guests today, um, Karen Reed and Joe Allen, authors of the books, first off, Suddenly Virtual from 2021, and now more recently, Suddenly Hybrid. Um, there'll be links to the book and their websites in um, the show notes. So um, Karen and Joe, I you know, really appreciate it. So much um, insight and a lot of great tips and wisdom for you today. Um, really appreciate it. Thank you for being here. Glad to do it. This is yeah, great. Our pleasure, Mark. Thank you. Well, thanks again to Karen and Joe for being guests today. Look for links in the show notes to learn more about their books and their work, or you can go online to markraven.com slash mistake 162. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.